You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. We've got a special supplemental. There will be a few this month because, well, it's the start of the journey to Star Wars The Force Awakens. And um, we're really excited to be covering all this stuff. It's one of the changes that they've made with this new canon for comics and for books and for, I, I don't know, John, do coloring books count? Coloring books are totally canon. Okay, and sticker books too? Sticker books, no, because the episode okay. one sticker book that they released before the movie had Bail Organa in it, and it wasn't Jimmy Smith's. Mm, okay, yeah, that's So I'm calling foul on dicey. that one. Yeah. We've got a lot to cover because of all the things that came out on Force Friday. Uh, let me just give you a rundown real quick. We got... Lost Stars, a young adult novel. We also got The Weapon of the Jedi, a young adult novel. Moving Target, a young adult novel. Smuggler's Run, a young adult novel. And Aftermath, an adult novel. Plus, we had dropped this week, Shattered Empire, comic number one in that series. All of these things are giving us hints and leading us to Star Wars The Force Awakens. And so tonight, John and I wanted to kind of break it down. And we're going to start with these three young adult novels that have to do with the main Trinity characters from the original trilogy. And uh, before we do that, just want to remind you guys, of course, that The 602 Cub is a part of Trek FM. We have over 20 different shows on the network these days, especially with all the special content episodes we do in different places. Uh, You can check us out at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. We'd love for you to subscribe there on iTunes. Give us a star rating and review course right now on the 602 Club all throughout September to the very beginning of October. If you give us a star rating and review, you're entered to win a $50 gift card plus an Eagle Moss USS Vengeance from Norman C. Lau, my good friend here on the network. So make sure you do that because uh, I'd love for you to be the one that we give that away to. I tried to steal both of them and he slapped my hand. I did. I did. John works on the network, so he's not eligible uh, because he hosts the show with that five-star podcast, Commentary Trek Stars with Mike Schindler. And so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, anybody involved with working with the network, not eligible, but everybody Curse else. you fine print. My nemesis. That's right. <laughs> hey, it's not my fault. Ruby wrote it, okay? Oh, She's right. the one with the contracts. Fine, fine. <laughs> and, of course, you can find us on Twitter at Trek FM. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM and the listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference. So make sure you check out that because that's the best place to have any Star Trek discussion or 602 type discussion. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook or go to the website and click discussion on that menu bar. Okay, John, we have three different books to talk about tonight. And uh, we're going to be a little bit unstructured in the sense we're just going to go book by book. I think we both read them in this order. Luke, Leia, and then Han. Yes, we did. Yeah. Unintentionally, so, we both read yeah, them in that order. Yeah, it was order. weird. <laughs> what, well, it, actually, let me, let me make that my first question of you. Was there anything that informed your order? 
What, did you choose the order in which to read them in a specific way? Like, was there something that jumped out at you where you were like, this story belongs first in what I want to know? Or was it just random? I think that's kind of just how I think about the Trinity, is that it's Luke, Leia, and Han because it's the twins and then the scoundrel with his, you know, lovable Wookiee by his side. Okay. So that's kind of how I think about the Trinity. But when it comes to talking about Luke and his journey towards Jedidom in the original trilogy, that's something I'm really interested in, especially with all that we've seen from the prequels about what it meant to be a Jedi. And so now as they're writing in this new canon, all the other stuff from Legends has gone away, and everything from the prequels is there that they can use. Yeah. Obi-Wan being a Force ghost, all of this stuff. This is the stuff that kind of... For me, the Jedi are my favorite part of Star Wars anyway. So, you know, Luke was kind of my first love in Star Wars. Sure. And I was the Luke guy where everybody else was the Han guy. And uh, I love seeing how they show us how Luke learned what he learned. So that's what made me pick up Weapon of the Jedi first. See, that's interesting because for me, I chose to read Weapon of the Jedi first because of the less than optimal experience of reading Heir to the Jedi. I wanted something to knock that out of my brain. I wanted something fresh. <laughs> Seriously, I wanted something fresh. I was like, you know, I really, I, Luke needs Luke needs the first shot here to bring it back. And reading Han last, I won't lie, writing Han is a lot more difficult than people think it is, especially oh, yes. if you're going to put him at the more scoundrelly stage pre you know falling in love with leia in in empire strikes back you know when he's just starting his journey as we know him i really think it's tougher to get that right uh there was one author who nailed it before and that was brian daly and i I think people have struggled since to truly capture han and so that was why you know, after I chose Luke, Leia was naturally going to be second and Han was going to be last because I was like, that one gave me pause. Like, in a sense, I wanted something to wipe away Heir to the Jedi. And at the same time, because of Heir to the Jedi, Luke was the character with the least to lose. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it was as bad as Heir to the Jedi, no ground yeah. lost. There was nowhere to go but up. Does yeah, that make sense? I mean... No, I mean because let's I let let's just be honest. Heir to the Jedi is just a horrible book. It's it it is unfortunate too because I think the story of Luke becoming the Jedi and being the last of the Jedi, being the person who's going to pass on what it means to be a Jedi to the next generation, you know, is such an important story. And it was such done I think mostly a disservice in Heir to the Jedi. Um Seriously, I think The Weapon of the Jedi feels more like an adult novel mm-hmm. than Heir to the Jedi did. I agree. I, I I think you're absolutely dead on with that. Um, when I was reading Weapon of the Jedi, I felt that it was targeted more at the uh, like the adult end of the young adult spectrum than Heir to the Jedi mm-hmm. was. Heir to the mm-hmm. Jedi felt like... I, it almost feels like they mixed up the tri- the uh, the manuscripts. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> like it does. I, there's I, no tootle fruits in here. <laughs> none. No, and there's no. Uh, what is it? The brain borers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nope, none of none those. Of those. I, but I, you know, instead of just beating up on 
on Heir to the Jedi and, you know, how how this, you know, succeeds where that one fails. The first thing I want to say about the book, and because you called it out, you said they can draw on the prequels and so weave everything together. I think that all three books did a good job of that, but the Luke book mm-hmm. definitely, definitely stands out because uh, the, the first point where it, it like slaps you in the face that I absolutely loved was Luke is thinking of things that Ben told him, you know, like off screen sort of stuff at a couple of points in the in the movie, you know, like training that's implied but not directly said. And one of the thing one of the sayings Luke thinks of starts off with "Don't center on your anxieties, keep your concentration." And I was like, "Yes, Obi Wan repeated Qui Gon to Luke, and now Luke has repeated it to the audience." I'm like, "Yes, this is another fantastic." torch carrying moment of giving validity to Qui-Gon who as everybody knows is is probably my favorite Jedi and um at least favorite anyway before going down that but it 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 really captures that you know like you said this is the story of Luke's story is the one of he's the one that's going to carry it to the next generation he's the bridge he's the one that's going to bring the Jedi back and a little nod like that goes a long way to tying him into the whole big arc of everything that's going on. I picked up on that as well, and I thought it was really important because, you know, in the Legends line, Ben disappears pretty quickly Yeah, from the Legends line, which flies in the face of everything that that whole Yoda arc told us about what it meant to be a true Jedi and become one with the Force. The whole point was that you basically did get to live forever you could come back whenever you wanted you could influence the next generation you you were part of the cosmic and living force at the same time in a way that nobody else was and i feel like this is really making use of ben in a way that i always really wanted to see that he was he was there but it was just enough to give Luke a little bit of a push. It wasn't right. it wasn't to be pushy. It was just to be give him the right nudge at the right time. Yeah, well while at the same time preserving uh, you know, he comes back, he's the voice. He doesn't materialize as a ghost because I there I I feel like they're very much preserving that for Empire Strikes Back. That's why it's right, supposed exactly. to be still such a stunning moment of like, "What? Wait, I can see you now?" So I I think it preserves that. I would have to I'm I'm going to have to go back and reread the legends because it was heir to the empire, but didn't Ben say he was like, he had to move on. Like he wasn't losing his immortality, but he like had to move like the, his connection to, well, anyway, and now I have yeah, to go, that, now have to go back actually, and reread heir yeah, to the empire. We're going to cover the, uh, that trilogy. So it should be interesting to kind of see how they handle that. But yeah, the, I remember there being something like that. It, it just basically was a writer's way of being able to get rid of not having right. to use, the that crutch of you well you can always just ask obi-wan or you know no, that's a good point uh, yoda which but that's the point of the again that's the point so it you can't really say it's a crutch when that's the whole essence of and again they didn't have the yoda arc from the clone wars so they don't really understand exactly what george was going for and i think that's one of george's definitive answers on what it meant to be obi-wan and yoda at that point when you merged with the force yeah but uh, you know, it, it to actually take it, even though they're drawing on the on the prequels, Weapon of the Jedi very much feels like a book 
you know, being a young lad back when when the movies were first coming out, there were a lot of books to read back then mm-hmm. too. Weapon of the Jedi really feels like something like uh, out of that time period. It it recaptures that feeling of curiosity of oh, what's the next step for Luke? Even though we yeah. know what's coming, yeah. it very much captures that that sense of curiosity of not knowing that was so much fun back then. Like mm-hmm. I know what happens with Luke, but I was st- this was still like a page turner for me because I was like, oh, I'm really yeah. Wait, wait a minute, what's going on here? And like I, I think that that. It's so interesting how it, it straddles that line of drawing on the prequels, but feeling like something that was written back then. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, you, you can't underestimate what a what a trick the author pulls off with that. Well, and I think one of the things here and and I think we're probably going to end up saying this about all three books is that, you know, if books are canon, which they are now, this is how you truly add to the canon. Because there are those moments in in the series where, you know, the films move quickly. They're two-hour films. It, yeah. it moves really fast. And so time is condensed. But here, you know, the time between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, there's a few years there where Luke obviously had to learn something because he's able to face off against Darth Vader and handle himself relatively well. Yeah. And so he's progressed quite a bit. And it's not just because of Yoda's training, but he had already learned something because his telekinesis power right. is more than it was. We'd never seen it, obviously, in, in the original Star Wars. So, I mean, all of those things are great questions to answer. And, and I think the way that Jason Fry does that here in this book feels so real because, one, it's reminding me of the prequels. It's reminding me of Rebels. And yeah. now it, it's feeling like the original trilogy. To be able to do all of that is brilliant. I mean, it's just brilliant. I'm glad you said something about uh, feeling like Rebels because, <sighs> slight spoiler, uh, he winds up going to a planet where there is a defunct other temple, like a Jedi temple that's not the one on Coruscant. And that is super cool. Because that that reinforces the idea of temples scattered throughout the galaxy. That maybe they predated the Jedi Temple or maybe they were remote retreats where Jedi could go and, uh, you know, I don't know, vacation. No, But like train off of Coruscant or something like that, mm-hmm. which makes perfect sense. Because especially if you're going to be the, peacekeep- the peacekeeping force for a galaxy, you can't always be leaving from Coruscant. You would have right. to have outposts other places that you would go or exactly you know but even if it had been defunct by that point uh you know it's still there it's evidence that the jedi are throughout the galaxy so you know not just rebels but the book if you're not watching rebels now the book has reinforced this idea Mm -hmm. that there are other places that luke is able to go to and so it sort of sets up all of these potential stories of luke knowing okay there are these gems out there if i listen to the force i can go out and i can find these places and get them, you know, there's some sort of, uh, uh, you know, treasure in there or piece of knowledge that I can recover that's going to help me in my training. Well, and that was one of the neatest things about the whole story here was that Luke is getting these visions when he's on this mission for the Alliance. And these visions, he's actually seeing members of the prequels 
like he's seeing in one vision he's seeing um kit fisto yeah swimming he's seeing mace windu he doesn't know who any of these people are but that's who he's seeing that's uh, in his vision that he's actually kit fisto swimming and he comes up to the shore and uh you know mace windu meets him there so i mean he's getting these glimpses of what the Jedi used to be. Right. And I think that this is, again, this is so important because it's really kind of giving those little glimpses of what Luke knows in a way that isn't just kind of like some crazy info dump of what happened in the Legends line. Right. Oh, R2 finally tells us everything he knew about the prequels. You know? No, it's not that. It's... It's these very organic Star Warsy things because we have the entire prequel era done that this era can be expanded upon and especially these little bits of and gems of how Luke learns what he learns can come to light in a way that binds the galaxy together just like the force itself and I think that's what all of these books do so well is that they understand how to add to canon in a way that makes each one of these stories we know Luke's not going to die we know Han's not going to die and we know Leia's not going to die because heck they're getting ready for the brand new movie it's called episode 7 which means it's after 6 so but they're making us feel something for these characters that is so important because we're getting to experience the growth between the films. Right. And I think that's that's the best thing that books like this can do in canon, you know? Yeah. Um and and I really I, I just need to hand it to all of these writers. You've got Jason Fry here. He helped write two of these. Uh and then, you know, with the Leia book, he he co wrote that with Cecil Castellucci. And then, of course, uh, Smuggler's Run is Greg Rucka. And, I mean, all of them just nail it. So I I really just, I I think that's a really cool thing to be able to say, especially when, as we've already talked about, you know, Heir to the Jedi and Tarkin, both you and I kind of have similar feelings on both of those. I think you like Tarkin a little bit more than I I do. I definitely like Tarkin. If you're going to mention Heir to the, well... (laughs) Heir to the Jedi is a whole like outlier on its own (laughs) that's way out there we definitely slightly disagreed on Tarkin we keep going back to how this is helping to uh, entrench the prequels in such a way that they can't be ignored which is wonderful because as everybody who has joined us in the 602 club before knows we are fans of the prequels and so like there was a bit of trepidation with the new marketing push to be a little nervous that they were going to give no love to the prequels, but obviously they're just saying, nope, this is all one big story and we're all one happy family. And I think that's wonderful. You mentioned the legends line and what's funny is one of my biggest questions ever since they announced, uh, you know, shifting things to the legends line and wiping out, you know, the, the post return of the Jedi expanded universe. I always said, you know, I, I think that the prequel, EU is still valid, but the, at least for now, but my biggest question was always, do we have a direct ruling on Shadows of the Empire? And I think that our direct ruling is Leia's book, Moving Target. Shadows of the Empire is no more, folks. Absolutely not. It's been erased. It's all done for. 
Dun 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 dun. Yeah, they that that book actually takes place in that very same time period, yeah. and they do pretty much put to rest that uh, Shadows of the Empire and Shizor and all of that is kaput. Which so. is a shame because Shizor was a pretty cool character. He was I thought. actually a pretty cool character, and I, he's I, in episode I one. No problems with it. His action that figure is, is on the uh, bridge true. over top of the uh, uh, of the pod race. Uh, starting line. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. he's not exactly seen on screen, but they had his action figure there. So far, so 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 far as yeah. I'm concerned, he's legit. Canon. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I thought was was pretty cool about this book too is is setting the the tone of the empire and its effectiveness at this point. Its effectiveness of its propaganda, the effectiveness yeah. it's having, and each book has a little quote in it. And specifically from the Luke one, I liked when he said. But Luke knew that the Empire wasn't just warships and stormtroopers. It was a billion small cruelties grinding up what people cherished and leaving ruin and hopelessness behind. And each one of these books does such a great job of, I think, building on the ramifications of what happened in the prequels. You know, because the prequels, and we've talked about in our episodes going through those films, it was about the fall of the Republic and what it leaves behind. And what you leave behind here with the Empire is this, you know, massive totalitarian state that that is nothing but cruelty and meanness. And, you know, it was just, it was such a great thing to see each one of these books kind of reinforce the rule of Palpatine and what it created in the galaxy. Yeah. Um, And I think point to the danger of what can happen if we're not careful and we're not paying attention to what's going on around us. Well, sure, because uh, in the Leia book, um, there's there's a quote where she says, that's how the Empire keeps people living in fear, by demonstrating that anything other than utter obedience brings brutality. And that is something that should, should give people pause as well, because, you know, to reinforce what you're saying, it's... Not enough simply to follow imperial rule. It, you have to be blindly, just like somebody living in North Korea can be shot for not cheering loud enough for Kim Jong Kim Jong Un or, or or something like that. And it even you know, like you said, it's in all of the books because it, the the main uh, antagonist in the Han book is. Very much, very much embodies, you know, what the Leia book says. I mean, in, in a way that yeah. that made me grateful as well to have read the Han book, to have read Smuggler's Run after reading Moving Target, because it then, intentionally or not, that character um, Beck wound up embodying everything that the that uh, yeah. Weapon of the Jedi and Moving Target had built the empire. Like mm. they characterize the empire, and then. In Smuggler's Run, Beck personifies everything that they were talking about. Mm-hmm. It's very, very interesting. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because, you know, Luke and Leia are already believers in the cause. And what they're able to do as well is those statements, especially if you read them in this order, really go to reinforce who Han is turning into in mm. his book and what he's seeing is okay these people actually believe in something i've never yeah. believed in anything like this before maybe there's something to a life of belief beyond just surviving 
Right. You know, what a huge, amazing message, true. So, again, I think all of these books, there's some real depth to what's going on, and I really appreciate that because, yeah, these are young adult novels. But, you know, I mean, I just picked up certain little messages in each one, and, and you know, the, the idea of that the Empire had kind of made this planet of Devron a place that used to live in harmony with itself, with the people and the environment and everything – it had turned the people from being stewards of what they had been given on their planet to consumers and the yeah. danger of that. And I thought, wow, what a great message because that's exactly what I believe, you know, I've been called to be of the planet that I live on is a steward and, and take care of it and yeah. live in as much harmony as I can with it instead of just consume it until it's all dried up and it turns out like the planet that. Han is on, <laughs> yeah. where they have to live in domes because they've destroyed their uh, environment. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, you're you're absolutely right there because that environmental angle is in is in Weapon of the Jedi and it's in Smuggler's Run. I don't think it's quite so much in Moving Target. Um, no, but to speak to the really to speak to the depth that you're talking about. I think is the characterization of what would be considered the supporting cast of, uh, you know, of the Star Wars universe, like 3PO. And the characterization of 3PO is absolutely spot on. Um, and his interactions with R2, uh, in, including there, there's one part where 3PO really doesn't want to go on any other adventures. Like, he, you know, 3PO is always the one that's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Yeah. He's the opposite of Bilbo. Right. Exactly. And, uh, he actually says to R2 at one point, uh, speak for yourself. I welcome the chance to avoid some ghastly peril for once. And I'm like, wow, that's, that is 3PO. <laughs> and then R2 hoots at him and he says, what a ridiculous sentiment. Adventures is just a different name for terrible ideas. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I can hear this in his voice in the movies. Yep. Like, that, that, it feels like a cut line from the movies. And that, that is just all sorts of wonderful. I think that's a testament to the writers that they do nail the voices of every single character that they're writing here. And like you said, and I was reading an interview with Jason Fry online today, and he was talking about he's always been a Han guy, but he got assigned to write the Luke book. And that, you know, Luke is such a tough character to write in the first place, he felt like. And yeah. to get him right and to make him feel right, as he did in the films— I really enjoyed the way he, he talked about, you know, he really felt like this book, writing it, made him appreciate and like Luke even more. And he's like, I don't know if I like him more than Han still, but I'm definitely more Team Luke than I used to be. And, you know, awesome. I I totally was responding to what he was saying because this book made me fall in love with Luke Skywalker in that way that when I was a kid that I fell in love with Luke Skywalker and the character because he feels like the everyday hero learning to be the great hero. You know, yeah. he's on that path now. And I, I really, that I, it's, I think, maybe the biggest compliment I could give to this book is that, I, you know, I'm right back there where I was as a kid where, man, Luke is awesome. Yeah, uh, he is. And I actually want to give a shout out as well to the characterization of Leia in Moving Target because... I think that this is the most I've enjoyed the Le the way that the Leia character has been written uh, in quite some time. 
she's always been intentionally or not treated as, oh, yeah, we have to have Princess Leia as part of the EU. Yeah, because she's there. And so I've always felt that she's been somewhat of an afterthought for some of the authors, like so much so that it created the need to bring in a Mara Jade or mm-hmm. some other or an Admiral Dahl. Like there was there were there were always these strong supporting female characters that they would bring in. And I always felt that they would give Leia short shrift as a result. And that was never fair uh, to her or to the audience. And I think that moving target right. makes her feel vital again. Mm. It, it it does. It, it takes her back to that, you know, really like warrior princess that I, you know, I mean, I had a hell of a crush on princess Leia when I was growing up. And it, but yeah, no, but I mean, like, it wasn't because of that whole like, uh, I like I fell in love with her in Empire Strikes Back because I was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm not gonna lie, I got a thing for strong women, and I have my whole life. And like, she was in Empire Strikes Back. It was like, yeah, all right, and like, you know, she mm-hmm. she's really uh, you know with it and everything. And I think that this returns her to that. Whereas what is now the Legends line didn't give her the fair treatment she deserved for it. Before we completely jump into the Leia book, um, because each one of these books apparently has clues towards the Force Ah, Awakens, and that's one of the benefits of reading them is is being able to pick out things you think might be clues. One is an easy clue in this Luke book. Uh, Sarko, the... uh, Scavenger. The scavenger, yes. Uh, The, you know, the the scoundrel, the strange bounteous hunter-type character that he is, even though he's not a bounty hunter. He really is just uh, this kind of strange scavenger that has a weird breathing apparatus around his face and everything. No no obvious face either, which is weird. Exactly. Uh, And he is in The Force Awakens. But uh, what were some of the things that you picked up on thought, okay, I think I see where they're going here for uh, The Force Awakens or things that we might see in The Force Awakens? I, I, I hesitate to say it, but if, if, he, if they're not going to be on Deveron, uh, where they described Luke going, like it, it, it feels a bit like the shots that we've seen of the, the Irish island that they've been shooting. Michael Skellig, I think, is the name of it. So I think that there's going to be some sort of shade of that. Um, again, getting back to sort of like the Lost Temple sort of thing. Uh, I don't know if I'm way off base with that or not. But uh, I that, you know, Sarko, I actually didn't know until you just said it. I've, I've maintained such a spoiler-free status that I didn't know that. And what's interesting is as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, they... It, spoiler alert, they leave him alive at the end of it. Like, they don't finish yeah, the job exactly. with him. And I'm like, ah, I wonder if they'll bring him back or something like that. So he's, he's definitely, definitely... a bone to pick with Luke now. He's definitely back in, it, because I know that there was... I saw a picture of an action figure that looked like the way they describe him in mm-hmm. the book, yeah, but I thought I it was just him. like a... I just thought it was um, like some sort of weird alien side character sort of thing. So, cool. Well, that... he'll Wow, if he's on screen... He'll be really neat. Yeah, I, I actually thought the same thing as you, that they'd be back on Deveron most likely, although Ireland is not a jungle, and so yeah. the pictures that we've seen aren't jungly. So my guess is is that they're using the rock formations there, and the rest they're going to yeah. have to CGI because 
there's no jungle on Ireland if that's where they do head. Um, or if it's just a for uh, a lost temple that Luke finds. Um, and then maybe yeah. maybe that's what Luke has been doing. Maybe he's been searching for lost temples for, you know, uh, because he's, yeah. he's been accumulating knowledge. Well, I, I, de- I definitely think the lost temple thing is our big our big hint in this book that Luke is somewhere where a temple is. Mm, somewhere where a temple is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to see what comes out of that book, you know, for the uh the Force Awakens. But I I also do kind of wonder that if um we're going to be seeing, you know, do we hear the voice of Yoda? Uh, you know, um are we going to have some Frank Oz, you know, coming back from beyond uh from the Force? Are we going to get um, I uh, any any characters where we're gonna get some Qui Gon? Are we gonna get some Obi Wan? They're all there, you know. So I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I've said this before, but I want to be very much on record. I I honestly think that something happens, whether by choice or not, to Luke's connection to the Force, and that might explain why he's at a temple, trying to either reconnect or you know, there, there's some sort of. You know, there's been an awakening like that line is just the title is too important. And I think that the temple ties into it to Luke Mm -hmm. either trying to hide like Yoda or trying to rekindle his um, affinity with the force. Not saying that he's like lost all of his abilities or anything, but like there's something like there's a blind spot for him. Like just like the Jedi developed a blind spot or something like that. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Um I have to say that, you know, moving on to Moving Target, yeah. our Leia book, uh, I, I really thought this is interesting because, one, the prologue is Leia in the time of The Force Awakens yes. in that time period. She is a general now in the resistance against the First Order. So uh, there's something that's happened um, that, you know, it very much looks like the the Empire has pretty much been relegated to a very small area of space, and they have reorganized in the first, first order. Yeah, but the thing is, I okay. Now this isn't fair because it's um, well, actually, no. They use the word resistance. The mm. word resistance carries a connotation to me that the first order might be more powerful than we think when the movie opens, because it's it's yeah, it's really, or maybe they're making some sort of move or something like that, because there is. For you to be in a resistance movement, you would have to be either behind enemy lines or conquered. Like you're not a resistance if you're the person in power. Uh, I, we will talk about it um, when we talk about aftermath, John. But I think the Mon Mothma of aftermath has a lot to play into why it's called the resistance. Because Mon Mothma is very much in favor of demilitarization as fast as possible. And I think that that is why we are going to see this called the resistance. Because it's not going to be something that's sanctioned by the New Republic government. I think it's going to be something that Leia is leading because Leia sees this needs to be done. And she's not so copacetic necessarily with everyone else in the new republic at this point that is my feeling well you know we'll we'll see resistance definitely though carries a 
it just it carries a connotation uh, for me. And actually, I, I forgive me going back to the Luke book for just a split second. Three PO's red arm is mentioned in the framing mm-hmm. device yep, in that is book. Being red, yeah. So, and they make a point to highlight his red arm. And I know that the comic is going to come out that's mm-hmm. going to explain it. But we um, also meet the droid that's going to be in the the film. That's going to be Leia's personal assistant, and uh, I have to say, oh, peasy, uh, just mm-hmm, yeah, just from the drawing, it's it's terrible looking. Um, it's it's I don't it's kind of a I don't think it's drawing. terrible looking, but uh, the fact that the nickname is Peasy, uh, every time I hear it, I'm going to think of Wheezy, and so I'm going to start yes. uh, singing the Jeffersons theme song. So we're like, Peasy, get over here! I'm moving on up <laughs> in the resistance. Exactly. Yeah, uh, that's exact. Yes, I apologize, uh, everybody, but that, I can't yeah. help it. I grew up watching the works of Norman Lear; they're burned into my brain. <laughs> you were talking earlier in reference to Leia yeah. and how she's written here, and and one of the things that I really liked is that this book did a great job of showing why. You know, a lot of people kind of complain about the female characters in Star Wars from Padme in Episode 3, and they kind of complain about Leia a little bit by the time she gets to Return of the Jedi, that she just starts to go soft. I think that's silly, but I I see where they're coming from. I completely agree. And uh, But what I like here is that these two writers do such a fantastic job of showing why that happens. She has this amazing conversation with Mon Mothma. And, you know, Leia has always been sold out to the Republic. You know, she was raised in it with her parents, Bail Organa, and her, you know, her adopted mother. She's been raised to be a senator, to be a rebel, to, you know, all of these things. And it's her life. And Mon Mothma helps her see, look... You can't just be fighting for this because life is bigger than the rebellion. You know, mm. what is and, – and basically the the whole crux of it was what is life without love and friends? That's what makes life worth living. Yeah. And uh, I loved that because, you know, there's been a lot of talk. Are, are Han and Leia together in the next movie? What's going on there? What I like here, at least, is that they reinforce the fact that Han and Leia – do love each other in the Return of the Jedi time period. Regardless of whether they are together when Force Awakens, yeah. Exactly. That they have a very close relationship and it is one of love. It's not just anything else. Uh, And I I like that. And I like that Leia gets to be a strong, confident woman and be somebody who has a love story and that those two aren't opposed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, and I think that Mon Mothma's speech where she says, you know, it's not enough just to live for the cause. You also have to. I think that that and I know that this will sound weird, but I was actually just talking with a uh, a friend and former colleague today about how there is a problem with um, my generation in the workforce being too dedicated to work and defining itself through their work. Because everybody, you know, my work is my cause. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that if people are able to, or the young adults reading this are able to take anything away from that, the rebellion or resistance or whatever it is and whatever it's an incarnation is Leia can't treat it as her sole life 
because it's her job. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it's the right. cause and everything like that, but she needs to be a complete person. She can't be just defined by uh, that set of ideals that's mo- like there has to be more. And in a sense, that actually speaks to where they were trying and where I feel that they did successfully take the character in Return of the Jedi, where it was you can't just be the cause. You have to allow yourself to be a full person and experience everything that there is in life. So I think I think you're very I, th- I think it's very wise of you to point out Mon Mothma's speech to her, uh, because I, I do think that that is that goes a long way toward informing where the character is going at this point. Absolutely. Well, and there's a big point, especially in the Leia book, talking about why we fight. What are we fighting for? We're fighting to make a better galaxy where people can live in as much harmony as possible in a galaxy this big, but also so that they can have love, they can have families, they can, you know, raise kids and go on vacations to planets, you know, like that they end up on. And I mean, all of these things, this is this is why they're fighting so that they can stop fighting and start living. And also to to highlight, you know, not just individuals, but like the planets themselves might be like that. That's the thing is the Empire is forcing everybody to live like the Empire. They're being central planners and everything has to run according to the Imperial edicts, whereas they're fighting for whole, you know, people, but also whole cultures to exist. You know, like you can be part of the galactic uh, government without having to be exactly the same and cookie cutter everywhere you go. And that's what the Empire is, is the Empire is going and putting its imprint on everything, you know, call back to the Luke book. But also in the Leia book, you know, every time the Empire shows up, they're trying to remold everything to be, you know, the Empire according to their bureaucratic rules and you know, I, th- I think that that's, um, yeah, I, I, it's really well, it, you know, I, it, it's again, it's just like, you know, the characterization of Luke. But I think that l- that moving target goes even bigger to capturing the what made those original movies so magical for people is everybody could relate to that idea that, you know, not everybody is the same size or shape and you can't force them to fit into a singular central planners mold of existence well and i think that is a a hugely important issue of the idea of they're fighting for the freedom to live the way that they choose you know instead of by a totalitarian regime which tells them what to think what to feel who to be and how to be and if you deviate from that if you're not part of the group think you're not part of you know the the majority um you're you're not valid and um that there's only one opinion that matters and that's the empires and if you don't follow that opinion then well you're wrong and you should die so I, i i again the messages here of star wars and the importance of it today i think are just ridiculous um it it speaks as loudly as it did you know when it first came out from prequel era to original trilogy era and i really really like that um 
And this book too, I mean, you know, Leia has some hard choices to make. The whole book is about the hard choices of war and how do we sacrifice for the greater good? And, you know, in the time of war, do we rationalize too much by saying it is for the greater good? I mean, it's asking some huge questions about the the way that we fight, why we fight. And, you know, again, for a young adult book to be raising these kind of questions, whoo, ah, geez, we, we talked about kicking some... Uh, heir to the Jedi booty, and uh, that is happening again with yeah. this book because just just the themes of them are, you know, ridiculously reticent for all generations. I agree. Um, it, you know, re- it reinforces sort of the, the universal relevance for, for everybody. But um, I will point out that um, if there's one thing that I, I do dislike and as long as we're talking about, you know, like the, the Imperial machine and everything, I don't, okay, this is going to be tough for me to phrase the way I exactly want to phrase it. So forgive me if I'm, if I'm being clumsy here, but this is something that is used throughout all of the books, um, is the empire referring to the rebellion as terrorists. Now I, I get it. That's, relevant to audiences now and it would be a word that a regime would use to refer to rebels i get that but at the same time i i feel like it very much treads that uncomfortable line of equivalence with what the rebels are doing and trying too hard to make actual terrorists as we understand them sympathetic in a way whether accidentally almost am i making sense where it's like i get why they're using the word but i don't particularly care for the fact that they are yeah i understand and i think it's because there's a, a real danger there because and especially in i think star wars George is speaking to the ramifications of something I think akin to like a totalitarian regime like the Nazis, you know, that we can all get behind and say, this is evil. Um, And so when you start throwing around the word terrorist in a time like today, it doesn't even mean the same thing as it did, you know, say when the original trilogy came out. We have a different connotation in a lot of ways to that. So I can I can very much see because I think that's a word that has so much baggage with it that as a writer, I think it is something to to tread very lightly with, you know, yeah. um and to and to treat very seriously. If we're gonna use this word, we need to make sure that we're using it in a way that really means what we it reminds me of the Princess Bride. I do not think that word means what you think it means. Um, <laughs> you know, we we definitely want to be careful to not fall into that with uh, with that word. But so I, I'm, but I'm the fact you. that they're using the word throughout all of the books makes me feel like there was a story conference where I don't know somebody, even if it was as innocent as somebody used it once, and everybody was like, "Oh yeah, we'll pick up and run with that." I mean, I don't think that they're intending to paint the Rebel Alliance the same as ISIS. I don't think that at all. It's just it's it's the word choice is disquieting to me. Um, 
but yeah. So anyway, I, it's such a minor quibble. Um, what, what do you think of the character of, uh, because he is rather prominently featured, I believe in both moving target and smugglers run. I'm having trouble figuring out how to pronounce his name. Emmat. See, I was saying Emmat, like Emmett, but with an A. Emmat or Emmat. It's yeah, either one. Um, I think it's interesting because I, I obviously he's going to play into the force. Yeah, there's absolutely no way he's yeah Yeah. not. (laughs) So it it kind of almost seems like he might be Leia's right hand man uh, in in the resistance. You know, she mentions at the very end of the book Poe Dameron being their best pilot and everything too. So yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think he is going to be a prominent character in the Resistance, and I'll be interested to see who's playing him and, you know, what his actual role is. But I I feel like it's going to be by Leia's side. That or he might be, as well, a character from uh, Rogue One. Oh, that's a good point. He could be. He could be. Um, Hmm. But, yeah, I, hmm, okay. Uh, you know, uh, you mentioned Poe, though. Uh, I, I do want to say that uh, she has a great line that I think already starts setting up Poe's character. And I think we all sort of got this sort of hint from seeing the initial panel at Star Wars Celebration, where she says, uh, I've never worried about Poe's commitment, and I'm going to garble the rest of it. Uh, she says something about, like, I don't know if he understands what it's going to cost him or something like that. And I think that that is really another bit of foreshadowing about her and Han. I, I do. I, I think, you know, I think it's possible that they're that they're dropping a hint that they're not together, but not for the reason, not because, like, they had a, a divorce or something. You know, like something, somebody's been, I, I don't know. But, well, but circumstances be, beyond their control. Uh, well, the one of the rumors I've heard is that it could be, that their kids are what we know as Kylo Ren, and the other one could be Rey, and they're twins, and something happened to kind of cause a split, and, you know, that caused the thing that can happen to parents, which is they become estranged because something happens with one of their children, um, obviously... You know, no, that, that's, one becoming a that would be dark side user and a weirdo freak of nature who's <laughs> worshiping Darth Vader is is enough, you know. So no. I don't know. That's that that's complete speculation. So let's get back to the book. Um, yeah, yeah. I I really like one. Uh, there's a nice gold bikini joke in there. That's yes, there um, is. So it's uh, that was really well done. Yeah. Um, but I, I again, um, I like this idea. There's a line in there where. Leia said there are fates worse than death. And mm. it flies in the face of everything that the Empire, the Emperor, and the Sith stand for. And it shows, I think, the heart of where Leia is. And I think that's the greatness of this book is that Leia really shines through the writing. Yeah. She shines in in a way that, like you were talking about earlier, it's been a long time since Leia has felt so triumphant as a character you know that Mm. you really were cheering for and you were totally behind and you like yeah this five foot nothing woman is powerful you know and she 
commands your presence when she's on the page. And really, really, really like that. Yeah, and you know what else I really, really, really liked was the use of Nine Nub. And finding mm-hmm. out that he's actually friends yes. with Leia and establishing that connection, even though it bypasses yet again, you know, come on, Lando. Um, but uh, just the fact that he is, he cracks wise every year. Yeah, <laughs> but the fact well, and they even have a reference where Leia's like pretty pretty much still pissed at at Lando, and Luke is already sort of becoming mm-hmm. that more Jedi like guy where he's like f- very forgiving. And he's like, come on. He's trying, okay? Yep. Yeah, I, yep. I get it. You got to give him a, another chance here. But um, the fact that Nine Nub, he cracks wise with Leia, but he does it in such a different way. There's not a, like, okay, let me call back to Shadows of the Empire that I said earlier this book, you know, removes from the canon. But you had Dash Rendar, and Dash Rendar was basically a Han Solo cutout that was like, okay, he's going to interact with people the way Han did. Whereas Nine Nub's interactions with Leia are playfully different. He's still irreverent and he's still busting her chops, but he's doing it in a completely non-sexual tension sort of way. You know, he's actually doing it the way a friend would talk to a friend. And it's so mm-hmm. it's so interesting. It's it was so much I, I really felt that he was I, I applaud the use of Nine Nub in that way because it really, in a sense, informs but expands his character because it, you know, now when I watch Return of the Jedi, I think I'm going to see him a little bit more comical as opposed to like overwhelmed alien, like, oh, what's going on? But more like I'm going to be, even though there aren't subtitles, I'm going to be hearing this Nine Nub in my head now where yeah. when they're flying, he's not like, oh, my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. He's like, Lando, you're an idiot. What what the hell are you doing? You know, like that sort of <laughs> that sort of characterization is going to come through now. What I love is that each of these books is connective tissue yeah. for the entire original trilogy saga. And so that all of the characters that we kind of meet and some new characters that we're going to see in, you know, the, the next trilogy – they're all kind of starting to play together, and it's all playing so nicely. As we talked about the prequel era, the original trilogy era, and do we call it the JJ era now? Or did sequel trilogy? O- yeah, the sequel trilogy. PTOTST. The ST. Okay, uh, that sounds like a disease or something. Um, anyway, <laughs> you've got a very yeah, bad, so <laughs> yeah, very bad. I have case really, of ST. really I'm sorry. like all of that though. No, it's just it's so nice. Before we move into the Han book, uh, we, we've already mentioned some things that we think from this book will be in The Force Awakens. Anything else that jumps out at you that might be in The Force Awakens? Uh, just just the fact that I very much they made a point of referring to Mon Mothma as Chancellor in this, which carries through to other post-Jedi stuff. But the fact that the Rebellion hasn't even won, and she's already the chancellor of what's going to become the new Republican. She's referred to as chancellor. I thought that was an interesting twist. Um, that title, uh, being there. Um, I don't know if that'll have any impact on force awakens, honestly, but I, I think it will, but no, I mean, I I think outside of, uh, Emat, 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 
however you say his name, I think he's definitely going to be in there. And I think fleshing out uh, Poe Dameron was, uh, you know, a good, a better move. Yeah. Uh, Did you see any other nuggets besides that? Honestly, the biggest one for me is does Han and Leia's relationship end up like Kiddies and Loco? Hmm. Is that what they're trying to drive at with this story that, I mean, the rumor has been that Han will die? I think that's how, well, yeah, I think that's how they talked him back into playing the role. Possibly, yeah. uh, But my, my, my question became, okay, so are they trying to set up the fact that, what if it is that Leia and Han have stayed together and they have been in love, but the, what you give up is this terrible thing and oh oh, oh. what if it's (laughs) we're going to speculate just for a second here folks so forgive us it's the 602 club um and it's a supplemental so we can do that that's what we do um that's right what if the twins that they had luke had started training them as jedi and something goes wrong kylo disappears they're their son disappears and becomes Kylo Ren. And because of what happened, Rey secludes herself from Jakku. And it creates terrible tension between Luke and Han and Leia, and obviously between Leia and Han because of what happened, and it strains their marriage. And so everybody is estranged at the beginning of the movie, And they're slowly having to come back together as this, you know, lightsaber comes into play and they realize they need each other again. Because that's another big part of this book, of the Leia book, is the idea that we're fighting for the love we have for each other. Very much a band of brothers type of idea. And that it's because we love each other we're fighting for a better life for each other. Just that idea of connective tissue of love... That being strained and broke, I don't know. I, I, that's that's could be way just, and, and we'll know in a few months if I'm completely wrong, and I probably am. But that just seems like a good storyline idea, where everything is kind of out there, and then it kind of comes back. I think the I think that idea has merit. Uh, I really do. I I obviously haven't uh, read or or heard quite as many spoilers, but the idea that that the one of one of the children finds out about their history with you know of being descended from Darth Vader and somehow that becomes their this idea that he finds out his heritage and this somehow lures him to become an adherent of the dark side I think it's a good time uh, to move on to Smuggler's Run and the Haunt book. And, uh, you know, I'd have to say one of the standouts at the very beginning of the story, the thing that really stood to me, not the fact that, you know, the, the story in the prologue is taking place in the Force Awakens time period as well, like all of these stories prologues are. Yeah. But what I loved was that so much of the beginning of this book the very beginning takes place from Chewie's point of view. And um, I, I feel like that's something that's going to be very important for The Force Awakens, but also nice to kind of see how Chewie thinks. Like, you know, we only get Chewie's dialogue, obviously, in the first place, 
by what people respond back to him. But it was nice to hear Chewie's point of view um, and that he's not just a walking animal. He's a person, you know? Um, And I really liked that characterization of him because it felt so real. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Um, The characterization of Chewie is a lot of fun. Um, And I I actually have that uh, written down, Chewbacca love. That he's given a role, <laughs> he's given a role much more. Um, again, to speak to the way that the that the character of Leia is treated in her book, you would think a Han and Chewie book is going to be, in a sense, solely focused on Han, but it's not. It very much gives the characters. Uh, I mean, Han is obviously still in the lead, but it gives them an equal sense of weight. Um, Chewie has much yeah, more influence definitely. directly over the way that things unfold and what they choose to do. Um, and, you know, even that, you know, th- this is something else too, is one of the things that can be most frustrating about an expanded universe sort of book, um, especially with Star Wars, but even with any property, is its presumption that the audience immediately knows the has the same level of knowledge mm, about things. Yeah, yeah. And this book as well as the other two, but I think even more than the other two starts off very carefully since these are young adult books to treat it as if these are people the, that the, the intended audience could very well be coming to these characters outside of the films for the very first time. And, while it while they don't belabor themselves with description, they give just the right amount, and this one especially, just the right amount to set the stage so that you know, okay, 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 I've got enough details. I, I can fill in the rest. I can figure out how everything else looks right now. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas I think that there's a very much a tendency in a lot of expanded universe books throughout time to just presume you immediately know what a... Uh, a certain class of frigate looks like, or mm-hmm. if they give you a ship class, you'll be like, "Oh, well, yes, that's the one that was introduced." I don't, I don't know half of these things, and so it, it was nice to have the type of detail uh, given, uh, you know, and have and basically have Chewbacca be the way to introduce it was very nice. Yeah. Quick side note that I loved: Chewie got a medal. Yeah. Uh, did you get that? Oh, yeah. No, I loved I, that. Yeah, I, I loved it, uh, especially because, yeah, <laughs> spoiler alert, he's looking at his medal and he's like holding it in his hand. He's like, it looks so much bigger on the people. This isn't mm-hmm. anything. You mm-hmm. know, like there's almost the sense of like, yeah, it's nice and all, but I don't know. It's not that big a deal. So I've retconned it in my mind that Chewie's was, was, was so tiny on him. It was just kind of hanging under his fur. And that's why you didn't see it uh, standing there in the film. I, I'll go. I'll go a step further, and I'll retcon it as Chewie had his medal, but um, they didn't anticipate anybody Chewbacca's size, so it was still like it would have fit around <laughs> Han and Luke. But they handed it to him, and he's like, "I can't exactly this put this head. on." So I'll, I'm just going <laughs> to put it in my pouch. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. I'm going to put, put this in, in my pouch bag. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's it, you know it's so funny because you're talking about just introducing Chewie and giving him weight next to Han 
as an equal character. And what I kind of love is that, you know, Chewie is Han's hairy shoulder angel. Yeah. That he's the one who is really helped pushing Han towards being a more reputable person, to stop being such a scoundrel and be somebody who has something to live for. And it's it's not done in a mean way or or like demeaning to Han, but Chewie just does it in such a smart way. You know, he's he's showing his friend that there's something more to life well, than the way that he's been living, which is just for himself. It's not the typical patronizing way that you encounter in a lot of mm-hmm. uh, different books and properties. It's the it is the way of friendship. Sometimes there are friends who aren't very much alike, or at least they don't seem to be, but there's a certain core to the two of them that is similar. And Chewie is the more, you know, he flies the straight and narrow, but he finds himself with somebody that doesn't want to do that, that doesn't like doing those things. And so Chewie is the patient friend that keeps Han from going, you know, yeah, Han breaks the law, but he's sort of that noble lawbreaker. And you have the feeling that it's Chewie, thanks to this book, it very much reinforces the idea that Chewie is, like you said, that angel that sits on his shoulder and reminds him, okay, yeah, we're technically, we're breaking the law here, but you're you're not going to go farther. Like Han, with a different type of friend that encourages the negative impulses, goes down a bad road and becomes a bounty hunter or, you know, he becomes something vile that the, you know, the audience that we, that he wouldn't like to become. Whereas Chewie is the one that's like, no, we should do this. This is, this is the right thing to do. We should try to figure that out. And the, and the, the exchanges that they have as a result are just fantastic. I was, at, I, I think I sent you a message when I first started the book where I said mm-hmm. I am legitimately laughing out loud while <laughs> it's going on. Like even even the the fact that he, you know, he uses phrases like enlightened self-interest. Mm-hmm. Um or you know to to speak to to his his more um brazen impulses that Chewie might help keep in check. Uh there's a great line in the very first chapter um that where <laughs> where where Chewie says or it's Chewie's thoughts are there was only one thing that would make Han Solo delay their departure, and that was a pretty girl. And I was like, that, exactly. that is fantastic because that reinforces what a departure and what a growth it is for Han to fall in love. Not just Princess Leia, but for Han to fall in love, he's this womanizer. He's this cad. You know, he's a Lothario. And Chewie is that patient friend that's like, oh boy, here we go. Whereas Leia's the real, the real deal, the real McCoy, the one he should have waited for, you know? And I just think that's really... She's the real thing, baby, uh-huh. Yeah. She's like Coke. <laughs> yeah, or, or... But the thing is also the exchange with Leia. To, they put Han... This is, this is in between Star Wars and Empire. And so they recapture that, that Han that everybody did fall in love with, where, you know he's in an argument with the princess and she says, if you worked for me, I'd have fired you already. And he immediately snaps back with, if I worked for you lady, I'd have quit. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> spot on. It is. It really is. The, again, they have, they have just so captured the, 
essence of these characters. And I, you know, I want to compliment the old legend line. I, I think that this is what made Timothy Zahn's original trilogy so special to so many fans is that he had captured the characters that made you feel like you were continuing on with them as if the story had never stopped. And anybody who's working in any license, especially from doing all the work I've done with literary treks, with talking to the authors, that is their goal is to make you feel like you are immersed in some part of that show or movie or you want to make the audience feel like they are immediately in the universe and nothing's changed except for the fact that you're sitting down and reading a book instead of watching a movie screen or the TV. And that's what these writers have done with these books. And I have to hand it to them because I know how hard it is. I've read so much tie-in fiction, especially in the Star Wars and the Star Trek universe. I know when the writer gets it right and I know when they get it wrong, and we all do, because we can feel it in our gut. And yeah. these guys are just nailing it. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and I, I think even, you know, with, with the framing device, the older Han even sounds right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah. he's a Han that I can believe exists. Um, when he throws out a line like, truth ain't the same as fact, kid. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. yeah, all right. That, and that speaks to the old gunslinger Western mentality too, of like you know you know, uh, have you ever seen uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance? Oh yes, yeah, great film. This is the West, son. We write the legend. Like that line yeah, speaks to exactly. that, and that's exactly yeah. what informs Han's character. Well, because he's John Wayne in space. I mean, that is who Han Solo ends up being. Yeah. You know, um, he is. Um, He's all the John Wayne type of characters kind of rolled up into one, into one, the scoundrels and the good guys. And you kind of put all that together, and that's that's the archetype of Han Solo. Yeah. And it's what makes him so relatable and why we love him so much, because we kind of have seen this character play out so many times. Um, quick side note, I loved that somebody says, swear on the maker. And I was like, George Lucas? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, you know, but, um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I mentioned her earlier, but, um, the you know, while we're lavishing praise on the characterization of Han and Chewie, I also want to lavish praise on, I, I'll just say, Alicia, Alessia, however you want to pronounce it, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Alessia Beck. Alicia Beck. I say Alicia because um, she kind of reminds me of an ex-girlfriend that I had by that name. But anyway. Yeah, well, uh, and uh, so she was an imperial uh, trying to kill you. She was a strong woman, but she wasn't. She didn't have a cybernetic eye, fortunately. That would have been tough to overcome. Scar? Huh? <laughs> Scar down her face? I have a feeling that if we'd stayed together, one of us would have had one. So Probably one would the, have been you. Yes, most likely. Uh, I, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Come on. Um, but the, uh, the characterization of her is fantastic. Like she is like, I want to see her come back in the force awakens or some other, or if not that some other property, because she's a true believer. She is, Mm -hmm. she's the type of Imperial that you could believe that like when the empire falls, 
is going to go off and try to find some way to bring the Empire back or live out the Imperial life. Yeah. She embodies everything, like we said, uh, that Luke, the Luke and Leia books say about the Empire. She is that embodied. And there's, I I don't see, I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm going to drop a hint for you that one exchange where she gets the information on where Emmett has gone, the guy, how she handles the situation. Do you know the, you know the scene I'm talking about where she goes into the cantina and she, and there's a guy who does give her information about everything. You know what folks? Yes. 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 That is a standout scene right there of Mm -hmm. somebody who is a true believer in the Imperial cause. Yeah. And it was nice because, you know, again, what's so wonderful is the writers are hearkening back to things that we saw in the legends line mm-hmm. like admiral dalla hmm. but yeah. it's it's just paying homage to it in a way that makes you feel comfortable okay i know who this character is i've seen them before but it's a little bit different and yes yeah, beck is written perfectly and you know they ask Khan at the end of the book in in the epilogue oh, whatever happened to beck he's like that's a story for another time yeah, uh, I I love that because there is another story out there with Beck and Han going at it somehow. Uh, sure, it seems like, and I like that. Um, I was a little disappointed because they ended up in Tanab, uh, and I didn't see Lando in any maneuvers. I was glad because with the whole Tanab thing, if Lando had been there, that would have been a very difficult retcon for me. But I'm glad. You know yeah. what? I'm glad you mentioned Lando because we've been sitting here and we've been. We've been praising these books. And, I, you know, the action is clearly written. The characterizations are fantastic. And there's the Holy Trinity. And Lando is mentioned. Wait a minute. Lando is mentioned. Why am I not getting a Lando book? Well, Lando's getting his own comic. Don't care. The other characters are getting their own comics, too. I I think part of it is that each of these books is meant to kind of give us hints for The Force Awakens and... He's not in The Force Awakens. But see, that in and of itself, maybe that's why I'm disappointed, is because gosh diddly ang darn it, Lando blew up the second- Watch your language. I know, right? The cap says, watch your language. He blew up the second Death Star, okay? He led that attack. With Wedge. You know, Wedge blew up the power regulator (laughs) on the North Tower, and that did nothing. That caused somebody's toilet not to flush on the Death Star. Okay? Whoop-de-ding-dang-do. All right? Lando brings the Death Star crashing down. They'd better have a... His ab... You know what? I will say this. For me, Lando's absence is difficult in these books. I get it. They're not going to have him in the next movie. But for me, it is a difficult point because... He is part of the crew. He is part. Sure, he might have come on late and he might not be. But if if all of these characters are going to be given all of this weight, at least give me some sort of hint about Lando in, in the framing devices. Remind me, and, and we will do a short bit about more speculation in just a minute. But remind me about that. Um, because I, I think I, I have a reason why he's he's not in there just yet, but they're still kind of using the comic to remind you of, of Lando. So 
Okay, I'll just let's go there now. What am I thinking? I, I think Lando's not there because um, the Force Awakens is set up so much like the original Star Wars film. It's it looks like it's gonna start off on a planet that is a desert. It's not Tatooine, but it's kind of like Tatooine. The same type of place. I mean, the entire structure of the film seems very reminiscent of the original. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the reason you don't have Lando in there right now is because there's too many things being set up in this movie that don't require his character yet. But I have no... I really don't have anything in my mind that's telling me he's not going to be in episode 8 that he might show up in episode 8 and be there maybe in 9 or one of his kids in 9. So I really do think that, that, that Lando will be back. I just don't think that he fits specifically in this story and they didn't want to do the thing where they're just trying to jam in all the fan service in one film and make it feel like, you, you know, do that thing where it just it doesn't feel quite right And you, if that makes sense. At least tell me where he is. That's all. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I can it, understand. Even that. in the fr- like, find a way to work in a reference to him in the framing devices. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know? um, maybe that's something that Shattered Empire, the comic, will do for us. Yeah. Because maybe. Lando is in that. Uh, yeah, he we, is. We saw him in that first issue. So, I love, love, love. We talked about the prequel love that we have, and this book does it too. There's an old clone yeah. in there, Torrent, and I love that. There's an old clone. It's awesome. Yeah. Um. The fact that uh, Motok, the the planet, is very much like Mandalore in the sense that it, they're lived under domes because they've ruined the environment completely on that planet. So they have yep. to live in these dome cities. Getting back to the environmental tip. Yeah. But I loved that it's really harkening back to things you saw in the Clone Wars. You know, yeah. So um, very, very nice to see those things. And again, if there's any compliment for all the things that I have read for the journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens, the highest compliment to all of them is that each one has woven the story of Star Wars as if it's one continuous tapestry. So there's no distinction between old trilogy and prequel trilogy. Yeah. That's a good thing. I completely And that agree. needs to happen, uh, especially when fans like us were frustrated when we heard J.J. say something into the lines of, well... The old cons- the old trilogy is canon. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Well, uh, you know, a lot of people when I've made that complaint have said, "Well, well, that's you know just the marketing," and I, uh, you know, maybe it's a little petulant, but I I kind of feel like I get it. I know why you you consider my ticket already sold because it is. Of course, I'm going to go see it. If, especially if I loved all six, of course, I'm going to go see episode seven. But it has been tiring to uh, see the marketing so geared toward uh, placating that audience that, quote-unquote, hates the prequels. I mean, even if you look, you know, bringing Force Friday into this mess, Force Friday wasn't just about new stuff. Like, when the prequel marketing stuff happened, that was all focused on the new movies. Whereas this... I saw a healthy mix, like a 50-50 split of old stuff mixed in with the new characters. Like I not the toys specifically, but the shirts and the notebooks and stuff and you know the books have obviously to do it 
very much tied toward triggering that nostalgia even more than the prequels were. And it's good to read these books and realize that they that they are treating everything like this sort of mollifies me where I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, they are just saying those things and okay, fine. You know, you're at least giving me the fan something to hold on to here. Well, I think, I think what this is showing is the validity of it all. You know, it's showing the validity of, we talked about earlier, the prequel trilogy, Clone Wars, the cartoon series, Rebels, and the original trilogy. And even by hearkening back to some familiarity with some things in Legends, it's it's showing the validity of everything that's come before it in the same way that I think J.J. tried to pay homage to all that had come before in Star Trek before they moved forward. And I think that this, even more so, you have to because it is all part of the same universe. You can't go off and create your other one. This sequel trilogy is not going to be you know, the Star Trek 09 reboot. It's a part of one continuous saga. And seeing these writers play like this, it it helps me feel like the film is going to be like that as well. And so I really, really like that. Um, (laughs) One of the funniest lines ever in this book was when Chewie pulls the doors off the elevator (laughs) and he says something to Han and Han goes, yes, yes, you're strong. Now go! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah no well yeah and and again that that definitely that that harkens back to get in there you big furry oaf i don't care what you smell that yeah i yeah that that is a great moment like but even the the hijinks the you know and the escape and everything like that really feel you really feel authentic and it's just it's i mean in all of the books but you know the way they're running away and uh you know just han when they later get caught, you know, it's like you give up all hope. He's like, eh, not all hope. You know, like just being right. that 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 obstinate jerk until the very last moment. It's it I mean, these books were a real joy to read. And yeah, they're classified as young adult. And so as a result, they are very quick reads, but they're wonderful. I can't recommend them highly enough uh for Fell, I, I would recommend these books to people who aren't as steeped in fandom as we are. These are books oh, where yeah. I would say, you know what, you want a a good weekend read, summer read. I know we're coming to the end of summer and everything, but you want something where you can just sit down and just sort of like turn your brain off and enjoy yourself for a little while. Read one of these books. You know, and I, I, I'm right there with you because, again, this Han book has this great moment and it's very much in the characterization of where Han is about the message of the importance of trust in life. Mm. And, you know, that trust only works when you give it because it's a thing that's reciprocal. Yeah. And how Han is learning that in his life. And, again, it's just like this is a young adult book. This is such a great message for anyone reading this book adult or kid and i i just i love that whole thing and it again it's playing into the whole idea too this book the empire is and and beck she's always underestimating the rebellion and the people in the rebellion and this drive for freedom to be free um and that totalitarian regimes always underestimate 
the undercurrent of people desiring to be free. Yep. And like you, um, yeah, my ratings for these books are five stars across the board. Mm-hmm. If you want fantastic Star Wars, this is it. Yeah. Um, of all the books that have come out so far, we I haven't personally read Lost Stars just yet. But of the ones I've read of this and Aftermath, this is what it's it's everything I hoped the new canon would be. Um, it's yeah. right up there with Dark Disciple. It's right up there with Lords of the Sith, and it's right up there with um, A New Dawn. These are the books that show me that these writers get the new canon, and I hope that the adult writers will take a look at these and and see how you kind of add to the canon of Star Wars through literature and make it feel essential. Like yes. I feel like these are essential now because yeah. the way that it's add added to how who I know Luke is, who I knew Leia is, who I knew Han is in the original trilogy you've had. I mean, even in a way that the comics haven't done yet. Yeah. I I completely agree. The these feel vital and I'll I'll go one up. I don't just want the quote unquote adult authors to pay attention to these and take their cues. I want these authors to be brought in to write other properties that aren't yeah. labeled young adult because that will turn people off. We're, mm-hmm. You and me, we're going to be shouting from the rooftops. No, 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 I know it's young adult, but you, you want to read it. You want to read it. Give these people some books where it's not going to be, where they're, where they're going to get the default sales. That's what I'm going to say because the these authors get it. They do a great job. Bring them up, you know. I don't think that young adult is the minor leagues by any stretch, but it's the only analogy I can think of. Is call these guys up out of out of the minors, bring them up to the majors, and give them a crack to win the title here. I yeah, that's the great place to end, man. Uh, to to wrap this up, I, I think you nailed it. Um, as as per usual. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Well, don't forget, of course, uh, before we all let you go, um, really appreciate you joining us here on the supplemental episode of the 602 Club. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed it as we talked about these uh, latest books in in the Star Wars canon. And uh, don't be fooled. A young adult does not mean that they are light on anything. They are full of themes and they are full of characterization that will just make your little Star Wars heart excited so pick these books up do yourself a favor get them on kindle get them on ibooks get them in hardback they're all over the place uh pick them up um they're totally worth it because you're going to want to read them and you're going to want to share them with your kids and your friends and it's 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 wonderful so uh we've got uh, all the shows here we have on trek dot fm make sure you check those out at the website at trek.fm of course we're on itunes at itunes.com slash trek fm don't forget about one of the most important things here on Trek FM, which is Patreon. Um, without that, we couldn't bring these shows to you. Patreon.com slash Trek FM. You can kind of see how you can help support the network and keep quality content coming to you at the level of production value that we have prided ourselves on. And we do it for you guys. We want you to have the best content sounding the best as possible. And we need your help to bring this network to you. We're 
very much run on fan support. Without you, we can't bring this to you. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you, you can help bring this content to you each week. I want to give a special shout out to Ken Tripp, my associate producer, who through Patreon helps me bring this show to each week. And of course, Norman C. Lau and C. Brian Jones, who are the executive producers here in the network, I really appreciate them. Uh, don't forget, you can find us on Twitter at TrekFM and Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. If you'd like to leave us some feedback, please do so at Trek.FM slash contact. Just John and I would love to hear what you thought of these books. Uh, I really do hope we encourage you to read them and you got a chance to do that. And we'd, we'd love to hear what you thought of them. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail. Just go to the sidebar of the show page or go to SpeakPipe.com slash TrekFM. Now, John... Uh, I want to give you the opportunity, of course, as always, to tell everybody where to find you on the internet and, of course, about uh, a few five-star podcasts that you are on. <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter at Castle Junkie. It really is the best way uh, to get in contact with me if you'd like. And uh, you can also find me on the Trek FM network on a brilliant podcast uh, run by uh, Mike Schindler with an imperial fist. Uh, it's called Commentary Trek Stars. It's truly a delightful little show uh, where we examine the work of Trek creators outside of Star Trek. And then, of course, there is Words with Nerds, uh, on which I appear with my buddy Craig. Uh, and that drops every Thursday on iTunes, Stitcher, etc., etc., etc. Well, buddy, uh, it's been a blast talking about this stuff with you. And uh, I'm excited. You know, we've got some other books to talk about. We're going to be talking about Lost Stars. Uh, we're going to be talking about Aftermath. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, Thrawn trilogy that's coming up. We'll be talking about the Battlefront book that will be coming out. And we'll actually talk about the entire series of... Shattered Empire, once it's finally all released, we'll talk about that all together. But just a quick mention, that did come out this last week, that first issue, and I do think it is definitely worth picking up because it looks like it's going to be a nice series. Um, uh, well, heck, a great series, honestly. It starts off fantastic. Yes, it does. And <laughs> it's got a great new little promo there for uh, somebody we might know in The Force Awakens. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. You want to talk about an origin story. Yeah, we get one. So, well, don't forget you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram at NRushing. I do The Orb with Christopher Jones where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. So check that show out. It's a lot of fun. And, of course, I'm on Literary Treks with Dan doing the books and the comics of Star Trek. And we talk about um, all of those things plus interview the authors, get their creative juices flowing, telling us what's going on behind the scenes as they write those books. And you can also find me on my own personal blog where I just uh, do some reviews of movies and books and other things that are important to me. I'd love if you check it out at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you.